Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Dean. That was powerful, inspiring. God is good. And all the time, He's such a good God. Amen. Good morning, family. At least the intern of the sun this morning. Stay six low shedding, but the sun still shines on us. Amen. So good to see some of your faces, Karen and the boys. Such a blessing to see you guys. Um, and I say this sincerely, we've been praying for you and the boys. And um, so good to see some of your faces. And uh, the presence of the Lord is so strong here this morning. And I want to get straight into the Word of God. Uh, we're talking and um, we're embarking on a new series this morning. It's a relationship series. Uh, I've just titled it Friendology. Uh, just to get your attention. Uh, next week we'll get more practical. We'll talk about marriage, dating, courting, boyfriend, girlfriend, birds and bees, friendships. But this morning I want to talk about the fundamental of all relationships. And that's a relationship with God. Tell me, would you, to the book of James. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. If you are seeing Leviticus, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, please see me after the service. Let me lay hands on you. You need some serious prayer. Dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. Amen. <laughs> when you're there, please give me an amen. A big amen. Amen. Oh, oh this right side. Amen. Thank you. Let's read from the Word of God. James chapter 2. And I just want to read for you from verses. Let's read from verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Do you see that faith working together with his works? And by works faith was made perfect. For the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him or accredited to him for righteousness. In other words, the day Abraham decided to believe in God, God filled his spiritual bank account with righteousness. God said, I'm going to credit it to you. Though you be spiritually bankrupt, I'm going to fill your spiritual tank and call you righteous, put you in right standing with me. Simply because you believed. And Jesus would say this over and over again, only believe, only believe. If you believe, you will see the glory of God because belief and faith is the currency of heaven. If you have faith, you have legal tender with God. Come on. Faith makes cash out of God's checks. When God's looking to do something in your life, He's looking for something to work with. He's looking for raw material. And that raw material is faith. Yes. 
Because he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that is a reward of those who would diligently seek him. For without faith it is impossible. Impossible. Without faith it is impossible to please him. Amen. He needs your faith. Yes. Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. In other words, when God done an appraisal and a review on the life of Abraham, God said, there's, there's two things that I think about when I think about Abraham. I think about his faith and I think about his friendship. He was called a friend of God. Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 5, Jeroboam stands up in the assembly of Judah and makes reference to the fact that Abraham was a friend of God. In Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 8, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, God speaking here, God says, But you, O Israel, you are my servant, Jacob, you have chosen, and the descendants of Abraham, my friend. James referenced Abraham as a friend. Joseph had referenced Abraham as God's friend. But it was God who said, Abraham is my friend. God said this. This is a total enigma to me. That a sovereign, eternal, transcendent God could look down at a man, stoop down low enough. And we spoke about this last week. Stoop down low enough to say, this man is not just my servant, not just my creation. He is my friend. Yeah. Come on. Let's pray. Father, we want to be your friend. We want to be friends with the friend who is a friend for eternity. A friend who sticks closer than a brother. We love you, we love your presence, and I pray this morning that you would shift us into different gears. Move our hearts closer to you, Holy Spirit. Anoint your speaker this morning that he may speak as an oracle of God, and that he may speak your heart to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. And amen. In John chapter 4, John approach, uh, Jesus approaches a Samaritan woman at the well of Jacob. Now there was a lot of contention around the sites of worship. But we're not going to get into that this morning. Jesus is having a conversation, first of all, with a Samaritan. Samaritans were ostracized and discriminated in the days of Jesus. Because they were viewed as half-breeds. 
And not only is he speaking to a Samaritan, speaking to a half-breed, he's speaking to a woman at the well. And that was not culturally, uh, that wasn't the proper etiquette of the day. And so he's speaking to an outcast, he's speaking to a Samaritan woman, and he unveils the heart of God to her. He lets her know what is on the top agenda of God. And he says in John chapter 4 verse 23, he says, The hour is coming and now is when true worshippers, true worshippers, true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father seeks such. He's looking for true worshippers who will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Lord is on this hunt. He is radical about this pursuit, the pursuit of worshippers. God does not seek the worship. Can I say that again? God does not need the worship. He does not seek the worship. He seeks the worshiper. Amen. He longs for the singer and not the song. Because it's, it's the worshiper that authenticates the worship. We are the worshiper. That's why you got to bring in more than a song. For a song in itself is not what he has required. Yes. Come, on. Come, on. Come on. God seeks true worshippers. You know, a, a famous scholar once said that Christians don't tell lies. They come to church and sing it. Because their lives don't correspond with their songs. We come here and we sing, I surrender all. Yes. But you still got that, you know that whiskey in the cupboard? That baggage. You still got that unforgiveness in the dark recesses of your heart? You still say, ah, but, but Lord, I know he's not saved. I know he's in another faith. Mm. But he'll come around. God is looking for authentic, real, raw worshippers. Amen. He wants you to be transparent. He wants you to be honest with him. He wants you. In a world when you can be anything, be you. Because he wants you. And it's easy to come to church and it's easy when we're going through hell and high water to put on our pious religious facade. But God is saying strip away the filters. I want you. 
For those who worship the Father must worship Him in spirit. And in truth, worship must be truth-based. It must be scripture-referenced. You cannot worship correctly if you don't believe correctly. Your doxology is affected by your theology. You gotta, you gotta believe right. You gotta believe the full truth of God's word. Worship is about the alignment to God's will. It's not about the emotions. It's not about the impulses of our imaginations and about the feel good. You know, sometimes you come to church and you know we sang the nice songs and, and the band did a, a good work this Sunday, but when we when we walk out there, we, we leave with this feel-good feeling. But our lives have not been in alignment to God and His Word. God wants authentic, real, raw worshippers. There are three levels. And I kind of made this up, so don't quote me on Facebook or social media. Hey, have you ever been in a situation where someone wrongly quoted you? Oh, I've been in that situation. Uh, one brother said, hey, as uh, you know, Bev likes to say, God helps him who helps himself. I'm like, hey, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Holy, I did not say that, my brother. <laughs> and when a crowd and he says, Bev said God, I thought, <laughs> so don't don't quote me on this okay I may be wrong but there's three levels of a relationship with God the first level is the beginning stage where we are believers it's the it's the stage where you don't have to bear the cross you know you commit to church, you say your prayers, and you get some believers who are committed, and then you get some people who are believers who are just casual, you know? They know their creed, they know the right things to believe, but they're fairly comfortable, you know? Fairly comfortable. That's the first stage of a relationship with God. The second stage of a relationship with God is the stage I like to call the stage of discipleship. Discipleship. This is where you love the Word of God. Your day or your week is not the same unless you've meditated and read the Word of God. This is the stage where you are disciplined, uh, a believer, you love to worship God. Uh, it's a mature stage. You can defend the faith. You're following Christ closely. You have taken up your cross, denied yourself. You are a servant of the Most High. You are on fire for the Messiah. You are anointed and appointed. You jam with the Lamb. They follow Christ closely. They love the sound of his voice. They'll sacrifice anything for him. What a stage to be in. A disciple. Then there is another realm 
of intimacy. Very, very, very few get to this stage. This is the next level of intimacy. I don't even know if some of you know what stage this is. And sadly, very few people get to experience and enjoy this stage of a relationship with God. And this is a stage of friendship. Where you are a friend of God. John chapter 15. The disciples have been journeying with Jesus for three years. This is the closing months of their journey with Jesus. They've seen signs and wonders. They've heard awesome, great didactic teachings from Jesus. And then Jesus turns to them in John chapter 15 and says, I'm, I'm going to promote you. He says, no longer will I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. Come on. But this day, I will call you friends. There's two things about friendship with God that we need to factor in. Firstly, Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 14, he said, you are my friends if you keep my commandments. Yeah. So friends are obedient. Yeah. <laughs> They're loyal. Yeah. They're faithful. You cannot be a friend of God unless you have experienced obedience with God. There is a, a story of a Wycliffe missionary. Her name was Aretha. And Aretha loved to paint. And so one day she, she painted a whole back porch and she took pride in her work. And so while she's cooking and she's in the kitchen and she's bouncing the pots, she hears the sound of a five-year-old neighbor, Jimmy. And Jimmy's making his way towards the porch. And she shouts, Jimmy, don't you go there. Come round. Jimmy, come to the front door. And Jimmy says, don't worry, auntie. I'll be careful. And she screams back, I don't want your carefulness. I want your obedience. God does not want your carefulness. No, but it's just, it's one drink. It's one pool. I'll just go tonight, then it's, then it's over. And Greenville likes to say this. How many drinks does it take to become an alcoholic? And for some of you, just that one night will ricochet a whole tale of events for you. And God's saying, I don't want your carefulness. I spoke to you. Obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way 
to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. If you love me, you will keep my commands. First John. Love is measured practically in your obedience. It's a verb. It's life service and not lip service. The second thing about being a friend of God that we need to factor in is what James spoke about in James chapter 4. He said, friendship with this world is enmity with God. Yes. God saying, if you want to be my friend, you can't be a friend of the world. You, you can't value what, what the world values. You can't do life the way the world does life. Come out from amongst them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unholy thing. You are the light of the world. You are a pilgrim passing through and a stranger. This is not your home. Come on. You are a citizen in heaven. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. This earth and its lusts are passing away. Don't try to be a friend of the world. Yeah. For some of you, you, you need to dream bigger. Dream bigger than a house and a car. Dream bigger than a, than a nice six-pack man or tall, dark and handsome. Dream bigger. Dream of a man of God. Come on. Dream of a woman of God. Dream about one day at the end of your life, at your obituary, someone can say, this was a son of God. Come on. A woman of God. <coughs> Friends of God are obedient to God. And friends of God have unfriended the world. And too many of us are living under false pretenses and worshipping under false pretenses. He wants true worship. What's the difference between servants and friends? What's the difference between servants of God and friends of God? Firstly, friends have access to the personal intimate realm of God. They have access to God. They have knowledge. You know how friends skunder? You know how friends talk? Friends of God talk with God. Friends are relationship focused. Servants are task oriented. In other words, for a servant, a servant of God, or, or servant mentality says, I gotta be obedient. I gotta do what the master says. I gotta make sure he's happy with the job. But a friend of God is, and this is going to sound like heresy, but a friend of God is not focused on obedience. A friend of God is not concerned about disobeying God. They concerned about disappointing God. It's about hurting God. I've hurt him. That's why in the story of the, of the prodigal son, 
prodigal son cried out. He disobeyed his father, but he cried out and he said, I've sinned against heaven. I've hurt and grieved the heart of God. When, when you're in this realm of friendship with God, it becomes easy doing the work of the Lord. Because it's an honor. It's not a responsibility. It's not a responsibility to do what is right. It's an honor to please Him. A few things you need to know about being a friend of God. And then we're done. Friends of God are apprehended by God. Friends of God are apprehended by God. And for some of you looking there and saying, hey, that uh, word is a bit too technical for me. It's a jaw, a bit of a jawbreaker. Friends of God are laid hold of by God. The disciples lived in awe of Jesus because when he spoke, when he spoke, something came alive in them. There was just something about him that grabbed hold of their hearts and lives and shook it, you know, like a pitbull grabs a tripod, just something shook them and turned their lives completely upside down. They were apprehended by who Christ was when they heard his voice. Something burned inside of them. That's why when, when Jesus gave a difficult teaching in John, he spoke about the kingdom of God and he says you can have no part in my kingdom unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood and the Bible says many began to shout out and say no this is heresy how can you preach cannibalism but Jesus was speaking in metaphors and and, and their hearts did not really want to want to hear what he had to say and so there was a great exodus and many left him many some of his disciples left him the 70 disciples left him and there Jesus is looking at the 12 disciples and they all that's there. The crowds vanished. And then he asked a question that, that most pastors won't ask today. He says, do you also want to go? Imagine that. Imagine that. You know, today's church, you know, pastors and churches, we like to make the entrance door big. And we like to make the back door small, you know. Try and keep as many of you here as possible, you know. Don't leave. Why did you leave, brother? Oh, no, someone of sister so-and-so offended me. No, 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 don't worry. We'll sort out the mess. No, no, no. Jesus was like, I'm going to make it hard for you to come. come on. The rich man, the young ruler came up and said, I've obeyed all the commandments. Jesus said, sell everything you have. He made it so hard for him to come. Zacchaeus said to climb up on the tree. A short man, you know how high a sycamore tree is. <laughs> Climbed up on a tree. Side of Phoenician woman comes and says, My daughter's healed. He ignores her. Says, Please, please, Lord, my daughter's needs your, your, your healing touch. Shall I take from the children's bread and give it to the dogs? He offended her. Yeah. Yeah. But she kept on coming. Yeah. 
kept on coming. He made it hard for her to come. But when she came, she stayed. So Jesus makes it hard for you to come and easy for you to go. Because those who are called by his name stick. They stick. They stick. You don't have to try and close the back door. So he turns to his 12 disciples and he says, Do you also want to go? There's the back door. It's big and wide. And Peter gets up and says, Lord, to whom else shall we turn? You have the words of everlasting life. We are apprehended by you. We've burnt the bridge behind us. There's no going back. We all in. All in. Sold out for you. Because they were apprehended by God. And Paul speaks this in Philippians 2. He says, but what things were gained to me, I count loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, for whom I suffered everything. And I count them as rubbish. And King James says, dung in layman's terms, poop. That I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness but the righteousness of God that comes by faith. Faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I have already attained or that I am already perfect. No. But I press, I press on that I may apprehend that which Christ has apprehended me for. In other words, family, Paul is saying, I've been apprehended by Christ. Nothing else matters. Friends have and enjoy great pleasure and delight in his company. Friends delight in the company of God. Pleasure and joy and desire, fulfillment of it, is not only defined by what you do, but it's defined by who you do it with. You know that ad? That ad that, ad that says it's not, it's not where you go, but who you go with. And to be honest with you, I'd rather be sitting in a dentist chair, having two root canals, with my wife next to my hand, then sit down with some folk at marble restaurant in Rosebank eating an aged fillet steak. Because life is not about but what you do. It's about who you're doing it with. Imagine doing a life without him. Imagine doing life without the pleasure of his company. 
Imagine climbing the ladder of your life and getting to the top of the wall only to realize that the ladder was on the wrong side of the wall. Do it with Jesus. And I know some of us are going through trials and testings and we walk into the valley of the shadow of death. Why go through it alone? Why go through it without Christ? When you begin to find joy and pleasure in his company, like how it works in any dynamic of friendships, <coughs> what he desires eventually becomes what you desire. Yes. Just a few months ago, I think maybe, I don't know, how, how long are you riding that uh, uh, motorbike? Uh, Clint has been biking, he's a biker now of late. You know, when I first saw Clint on a motorbike, you know, when he did that first, I, yes, it, like something came alive in me. And uh, I went to the wife and I said, hey, you know what, back in the day I used to have a little one, two, five cc. But hey, you think I can get a motorbike soon, you know? And the more you begin to hang around with Clinton and he begins to speak about how the, the, the one would brush against his hair, you know, and, and the roots they take, and you spend enough time with Clinton and sooner or later you're going to want to buy a motorbike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how friendship works. Man, the more time you spend in his presence, you begin to find out what, what he enjoys, what he loves. What, what makes him come alive? Like he said, when one sinner repents, hey, there's a huge celebration here because that's what God enjoys, the winning of souls, the discipling of people. You begin to find out what's his desires for you. And so as a friend of God, you begin to share the same interests. He changes your desires. Friendships enjoy great, lengthy conversations. You know, when, uh, I don't know if Glenville remembers, but back there in Peter Mattersburg, we were kids, uh, I must have been like 12, 11, 12, somewhere there. You know, I was still wet behind the, the ears, I had Florida Lake behind my, my ears, and uh, Greenville and I would talk for hours. And we just talk about the doom and gloom of the book of Revelations. <laughs> and we talk until the sun goes down. And I hear my granny shouting here on the balcony, Bevan! <laughs> Every now and again, you know, when we go to Clinton's and Burns house, hey, man, we forget about our responsibilities that the kids must be bought. Or now and again, when I go for a haircut, the wife's like, the time, eh? Time. Because I know when you your friends cutting your hair, forget about the time. Yeah. Some of us, and I say this not in a harsh way, but I'm saying some of us don't even get to enjoy five minutes in prayer. We're not we're not friends with God when when we open up in prayer and I start dozing off and we find no thrill and interest in speaking with God. 
friends of God forget the time they spend in prayer. They're not counting the clock. This is not some maintenance work of some religious machinery. No, it's organic. It's full of life. They get lost in worship. They get lost when they're reading the scriptures. They get lost in church. They're not wondering, hey, there's food on the stove. There's pots of cooking. We're going to rush out of church. No, they enjoy the presence of God. Amen. They love conversations with God. You know when Jesus rebuked his disciples? He was in the Garden of Gethsemane his last and closing days. And his disciples would fall asleep. And he would come and he would say, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. You know, and, and I've heard many, many believers use this crutch. Yeah. But in most cases, in our case, the spirit is not even willing. The spirit is not even willing. Francis Franco Payne, I've told the story a few times, I'm almost done family. Told the story a few times, great man of God, he wrote a number of bestsellers, um, one of them, The Battlefield of the Mind. Uh, I love his ministry, his books. And when he was a young minister, he spent so much time in prayer and fasting. You know, his whole life was absorbed in prayer and fasting and, and he spent a long time with God for hours and every morning when he gets up he's in the prayer room, his secret place and he's crying out to God and he's enjoying the presence of God, he's singing before the Lord, he's even dancing before the Lord, I don't know if you got into the presence of God and you're alone and you're just dancing before him and he's enjoying and I'm soaking in the presence of God and then as a minister, you know, uh, his reputation started to grow and, and, and he started being invited out to preach more often. And so his itinerary became full, his calendar, he'd preach there and preach here. And so his prayer life suffered a bit. He wasn't able to spend that time in prayer anymore. And then uh, the ministry started launching new projects and, and they needed more finance. And so his mind and his life became preoccupied with trying to get these projects off the ground and to make them work. And then one day he's at home and a prophetess gives him a call and says, Francis, the Lord gave me a word for you. And quickly he's thinking in the back of his mind, maybe the Lord's going to speak about this project that's dying. Or maybe speak about my international ministry. And then the prophet here said, Francis, the Lord told me just to tell you these words. Tell Francis I miss him. Tell Francis I miss him. It's an old, old hymn I've been singing last couple of days. I don't know if you're a 90s kid, maybe you won't get this, this hymn. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I come to the garden alone While the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses, and He 
me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other than never before Abraham was a friend of God God said this is my buddy this is my friend and so God is about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah he's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah he's decided but he says in Genesis 18 verse 17 shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do he's my friend so let me invite him into my council God loved and appreciated Abraham so much. He said, I don't want to do anything unless I let my friend know. And so Abraham comes into the, the council room of God. And God allows Abraham to dialogue and intercede and mediate over the redemption of Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, Lord, if there's 50 righteous, will you save Sodom? And the Lord is like, Abraham, there isn't. And it's 45. And the population of, of Sodom was into the thousands. And it's 45. Abraham, there isn't. 25? There isn't. This goes to show that if there were 25 righteous people in a city of thousands, God would have saved it. And this goes to prove that it's not the presence of evil that brings the judgment of God. It's the absence of good. Absence of good. So God say, just, just give me 25. And it wasn't 25. So Abraham managed to save just his family and Lot. But obviously you know the story of Lot's wife. Jesus preached a shorter sermon that they said, remember Lot's wife. Don't look back. When you become a friend of God, you step into such an intimate realm and place with God that God invites you into that special place where you begin to participate in the liberation of others. I'm going to say this in closing. Really, really, I'm closing. And I'm just going to make this bold, brave, blatant statement. And I'm done. You are as close to God as you want to be. Finishing, clock. Let's stand. Let's pray.